The Third Magpie by M.S. Clements Read by Hannah Timms Episode 10 There were a dozen or so people in the guardhouse waiting room, each trying to avoid eye contact with any of the others. Sophie tore a number off the roll and sat down on the plastic chair. It was going to be a long morning. From her handbag she pulled out a battered book, the front and back covers ripped off. Its yellowing pages released that distinctive old book smell, filling her head with pleasant memories. On the cover page, in neat schoolboy writing, Timothy Smith, 9P, St Jude's School. By rights, the book should be on the banned list, but it had become unpopular long before the new regime took charge. Sophie pinged off the elastic band that held it together, momentarily catching the attention of a man opposite. He wasn't interested in her or her book, only how much longer he'd have to wait for his number to be called out by the desk clerk. These were not the people who would frown and holler at Hella's satirical world. Sophie was free to reacquaint herself with Captain Yossarian, but her guilty conscience still jumped when the shadow of a uniformed man fell upon her. Miss Sophie, I thought it was you. Is everything okay at home? said the sergeant, his face alight with an endearing smile. Oh, hello, Sergeant Mason. Finn's got the flu. I'm waiting to see Captain Kendrick, she explained, slipping the book beneath her skirt. George, please. Yep, it's a nasty bug, all right. It's causing a bit of disquiet up on high by all accounts, and it seems to be spreading. Though patriots aren't being affected as far as I can tell. He filled the empty seat next to her. Rumour has it they suspect this is the start of a new campaign by the insurgents. Infect DIAs with a new variety of flu and they go out purposely trying to infect us. <laughs> they didn't bank on us having a vaccine now, did they? <laughs> he was laughing. Sophie was not. Look after your own first that sacred doctrine of every loyal patriot. An elderly lady in the corner of the room began to cry. George stopped laughing and took in all the sullen faces surrounding him, all DIA spouses, all there for the same reason. He patted Sophie's knee with paternal reassurance. Don't you worry, Miss Sophie. I'm sure Finn will be just fine. He'll get the right help. They all will. Just you wait and see. Sophie nodded, the large lump in her throat stifling all words. She looked down at Sergeant Mason's hand tapping her knee. There were age spots and wrinkles across the back of it, and grey hairs poked out of his uniform cuff. He had known them for years, yet she still couldn't think of him as a friend, no matter how kind his demeanour towards her. She lifted her face, almost challenging him. You can't suspect Finn of purposely making himself ill, can you? His ears reddened with her accusation. No, not at all. It's the insurgents' fault, you know. They don't care who they infect. I guess most DIAs are innocent, just like Finn. Come on, let me see if I can speed things up for you. Captain Kendrick owes me a favour. George, that's kind, but I I'm happy to wait my turn. No, no, I insist. Can't have Mr Smith's daughter waiting around. 
He disappeared behind a security door, leaving Sophie to scan the room. Anxious faces, all hoping to see Captain Kendrick and learn the fate of their sick loved ones. Confinement? For how long? No work meant no pay for a DIA. New regulations required those needing specialist care were to be sent to a DIA treatment centre, a good three hours bus ride from their home. Her gut instinct told her that was somewhere best avoided, especially given the rumours. In the corner, the elderly woman wiped away her tears with a delicate handkerchief. Sophie imagined life without Finn. Beneath the cotton fabric of her blouse, goosebumps of fear chased up her arm. It was mid-afternoon by the time Sophie made it back to the cottage. Through the window, she spotted someone moving about in her kitchen. She sighed. Admittedly, Sophie had not expected the meeting to take five hours, but he really was not well enough to be stomping around the kitchen. Finn, why are you so stubborn? I told you to stay in bed, she said, flinging open the kitchen door. Last time I checked, he was asleep upstairs. The man, hiding behind the cupboard door, closed it and faced Sophie. Sergeant Mason, we've spoken about this before. Please call me George. What are you doing in my kitchen? The table was a complete mess. Her largest pan was full of vegetables, with a whole chicken perched on top. Inside the carcass, she saw a lemon and herbs from the garden. Was that lavender? Vegetable peelings were scattered across the work surface and the floor, and in the middle of the mess was George, brandishing a large chef's knife in his hand. Half day today, and seeing as how you wouldn't accept my help with Captain Kendrick, I thought I'd pop in to see if your husband needed anything. I knew you'd be a long time. Her surprised silence was interrupted by coughing from upstairs, reminding her of what was important. I should check on Finn. She put the bag of medical supplies down on the table, leaving her intruder to chop onions. Whatever George was cooking, it was bubbling on the hob when she returned to the kitchen, its tempting smell making her empty stomach rumble. How is he? said George, holding the chair out for her. She was genuinely worried. This flu was different, like nothing she had experienced before. All number of possible ailments sprang to mind, none reassuring. He's getting worse, delirious, and his temperature's gone up. I need to call Dr Thatcher again. Once Sophie's call to Henry ended, she dropped her face into her hands. Tears dribbled out through the gaps between her fingers. There, there now, don't you go crying. George bent down to hug her. Doc will come, won't he? Sophie nodded, exhausted by her pleading. You see? How could he refuse someone as lovely as you? He had only heard one side, and Sophie took some relief from that. She tipped up the shopping bag to look at the inadequate medical supplies, lemon, honey and paracetamol. George nudged Sophie, attempting to bolster her with his good humour. My mother swore by hot lemon. Best thing for a cold. That and her famous chicken soup, of course. <laughs> he said, nodding towards the bubbling concoction. It's so kind of you, George. You shouldn't have gone to all this trouble. How much do I owe you for ingredients? Nothing, he replied, holding up a hand to stop her speaking. I won't hear of payment. 
By the way, what did Kendrick say? Sophie's eyes prickled again. Oh, George, it's full confinement. He can't leave the house at all for six weeks. No work, no tutoring, no money. Well, I gathered there might be a crackdown. The Ministry don't want an epidemic breaking out. Sorry your husband's caught up in it. Unfortunate, really. George picked up the kettle, filled it and placed it on the stove next to the soup. Sophie couldn't help wondering why this apparently sweet man would want to be an officer. His daily routine the opposite of his nature. How am I going to tell Finn? He'll go stir-crazy. If he feels how he looks, I doubt he'll care for the first week. Bed, sleep and your loving attention is what he'll be needing. Nothing more. I'd wait until he starts to improve. With the Christmas holiday looming, they would only miss out on three weeks of term time pay. One thing she was sure of, though, time off to care for him was not an option. She needed to earn, and the holiday period was the time she could make extra money. Sophie had no intention of turning to her parents for help. They did enough already, and her mother would only use it as further ammunition against Finn. George handed her a cup of tea. I can always call in to say hi. Check all's well while you're on duty, if that helps. Would you? You are our guardian angel, you really are. Even with Finn's mumbling keeping her awake, Sophie could not leave the makeshift bed. The guilty weight of fatigue pinned her down, confining her to that instrument of torture worthy of Asu. Her neck was stiff and her arm numb from lying on it. His murmurs persisted. She clenched and unclenched her fists, trying to get the circulation going, then manoeuvre her legs from under her. They were as numb as her arms, pins and needles running down them to her feet. She grimaced with each cautious step towards the bed, stumbling over a loose floorboard and nearly knocking over the intravenous drip stand. Bottles and pills filled her dressing table, a once pretty room impregnated with the smell of eucalyptus oil and fear. The foreign minister had called in favours. He was no stranger to the benefits of bribery. His son-in-law the sole beneficiary of the minister's guilt. He was becoming more unsettled. It was as regular as clockwork. Sophie placed her arm under Finn's back to ease him up off the pillow. Finn, sweetheart, it's okay. You're only having a nightmare. His skin felt hot, but she was sure it was less clammy. Come on, wake up, darling. You're going to be just fine. She put a cup of herbal tea to his lips, irritated by his refusal to even try a sip. She was tired too. He opened his eyes, but with no greeting smile for his wife. Her continued attempts to persuade him to drink at last succeeded, but it was short-lived. He moved his head away, stubbornly refusing her entreaties to drink more. Sophie shuddered, listening to Finn's chest rattle with each breath. Anna had said that the herbal tea would help loosen the sticky phlegm on his lungs. Unconvinced, Sophie thought it more likely one of Anna's well-intentioned placebos to soothe her own anxieties. She reached across for the thermometer, the long beep signalling a fever. But at least it was coming down. Henry had promised her. He had promised her father. If Finn improved, then he could stay with Sophie. Time was running out. Henry would be back later that day to examine Finn. There had been some hopeful signs since her father's visit three days before, 
but she doubted it was enough. Determined she would not let them take him away to the treatment centre, she held the cup to his lips once more, ordering Finn to drink. Her talking must have woken Anna, who walked into the room a few minutes later carrying a tray with a bowl of steaming water and a small bottle of herbal oil. Dressed in blue polka-dot pyjamas and with her untamed hair, she was doing her best impression of a friendly Medusa. For the new Albany records, Anna was a servant, the foreign minister's cook, but in Sophie's home she was every inch her godmother. A maternal kiss on Sophie's cheek infused her with hope. I'll stay with him, Sophie. You need to get some sleep. Aren't you working in the morning? Sophie nodded but remained resolutely by Finn's side, watching the rise and fall of his chest, terrified that each rise might be his last. I don't know what I'll do if they take him away from me. Darling girl, everything's going to be fine. Henry won't send him away, not now, she said, taking Sophie's hand into hers. Do you really think he would risk making an enemy of your father? That's a battle Henry would unlikely win. No, Finn is staying right here with you. She was the woman that had cradled her as a newborn, the woman that watched her grow into the curious girl, the woman that had taught and inspired her, always there, always her guiding beacon, always her pillar of support, so positive and calm, she alone could prevent her goddaughter from being sucked down into the whirlpool of despair. He's definitely improved, she said, and it's only been a few days. He's responding well. He'll be fine, trust me. Finn is far stronger than you think. He wants to live, I am sure of it. You really do need to get some rest, though. I insist. Sophie sat back on the makeshift bed while Anna picked up her long-forgotten stethoscope to listen to Finn's chest. Watching her, Sophie fantasised what it must have been like to work as a doctor, skills ingrained within her godmother, never forgotten. To be a woman not only capable of bringing life into the world, but also to save lives, men broken bodies, to understand the mystery of human life. What must it have been like to have that ability then have it snatched away for no other reason than for the misfortune of being born female. She remembered the small girl drawing in the library while Anna researched the works of Benedictine monks, taking page after page of notes. New Albion ignorance giving her access to the herbalists of the past. When Sophie graduated as a nurse, it was Anna's well-thumbed and underlined cause et cure that passed from godmother to goddaughter. Sophie clasped her hands together in prayer, hoping St Hildegard of Bingen was listening, that she would guide Anna and together they would heal Finn. Weariness had taken control, her eyes disobediently shutting each time she urged them to stay open. Her body ached and she desperately wanted somewhere she could stretch her stiff limbs. I might lie on the sofa for a short while. Anna turned away from her patient to give her goddaughter another kiss and a hug. You'll feel much better, Soph, I assure you. If there's any change to Finn, I promise I'll wake you. Sophie left the room knowing that before long both of their nightmares would return.
At the opposite table, a purple-nailed lady swiped across her tablet. Little disapproving noises were dripping off her plum-coloured lips. Even from where she sat, Sophie could see the article, dominated by a picture of men in surgical masks standing over a cadaver, an arm hanging out from under the white sheet. Deliberately or not, the bangle was clearly visible on the dead man's wrist. D.I.A. Influenza, the insurgent's latest attack on New Albany. It was a blatant lie. Barely any patriots had suffered from the epidemic. Her workload had not increased beyond the usual winter coughs and colds. The vaccine had done its job, but that narrative was of no use to the propaganda machine. Irritated, she downed the espresso in hope it would charge up flagging enthusiasm for her day. Exhaustion was consuming her. Sorry, darling, I had to drive myself. Christopher is with Daddy in AZ1. There was no one to park the car for me. Such a nightmare. And people wonder why we wives get stressed at Christmas. Jolted out of her stupor, Sophie rose to embrace her mother. Hope the other road users were warned. When was the last time you drove? Oh, goodness, donkeys years ago. I was a good driver, Christopher will agree. And I did get here without incident. Michelle sat down and picked up the menu. Have you ordered? No, I thought I'd wait. I have something for you. She handed her a small white box, her mother's glee at the unexpected present fading on seeing the contents. It's Daddy's watch. What were you doing with that? He left it behind when he dropped by the other week. Daddy didn't say anything to me. Why was he visiting you? He was passing, some business in the area. He knew Finn was ill, probably wanted to check we were okay. Michelle placed the box in her handbag. I'm surprised he didn't say anything to me. He treasures that watch. Heaven knows why, it's not valuable or anything. A goodwill gesture from some ambassador or outer world minister. I can't remember exactly who gave it to him now. They sat back in their chairs to peruse the menu. Her mother was in an unusually buoyant mood, making Sophie hopeful for pleasant discussions about nothing in particular. She was happy to let the chatter wash over her. Oh, and talking of the capital, it looks just lovely at the moment, what with all the Christmas lights and everything. I do love Christmas, don't you? said Michelle. Not really thought about it. Will you be having a pudding? Oh, oh no, need to watch the calories. How can you not love Christmas? Sophie hid behind the menu. Her answer would not meet the approval of her mother or anyone else listening in. Michelle pulled it down, saying, You look tired. Are you getting enough sleep? Daddy said Anna visited you while I was away. Yes, she stayed for several days, keeping me company and helping with Finn. Oh, and by the way, your son-in-law's much better now. Thanks for asking. Michelle ignored her daughter's barbed response. Just awful, isn't it? How they could do such a thing is beyond me. We let them live and work here and the ungrateful Immies set about making us sick. And right before Christmas too. Please don't call them Immies, Mum. But Michelle had not finished with her tabloid tirade. I heard AZ7 have declared a state of emergency. Patriots are coming down with it left, right and centre. 
disgusting. Sophie sighed. Pleasant conversation was always going to be a long shot with her mother. She could give her all the facts and figures. The vaccine had worked, and for those vaccinated patriots who did get symptoms, it was a very mild version. Though none of that would make any difference to her mother's blind adherence to the accepted opinion of New Albany. And I read that flu is just the precursor. If you don't get the antiviral drug within hours of the first symptoms, you'll die. That's the reason Immies, um, sorry darling, DIAs, are dying. Not that they should be given it. It's their fault in the first place. Sophie leant her elbow on the table, rubbing the indent of the top of her nose. Her mother was hard work and oblivious to her daughter's body language. Has Finn had an antiviral? Michelle continued. No, he's feeling much better, she said. She had no intention of telling her that Finn had been given all sorts of drugs that weren't available for DIAs. Michelle leant forward, glancing sideways to check the nearby tables and whispered, Daddy would get it for you if you want. As I said, he is improving. Just very bored and frustrated. If you say so. Anyway, the extra confinement time is a necessity. Stop those insurgents' vicious plan from spreading. Now where is that waitress? Probably confined and unable to work? I suppose. Michelle put the menu down and began looking around, waving her hand at a waitress emerging from the kitchen. Mum, don't you ever look at Finn, Christopher and Anna and then read those briefings and think, this isn't right, this isn't the truth. Michelle quickly stopped trying to catch the woman's attention. Behind a well-positioned hand, she hissed, Sophie, if you speak like that in public, then you'll get yourself into serious trouble, the sort that kills. Sophie understood she was being warned to keep clear of the subject. She struggled to believe that despite all her patriot fervour, her mother could be so cold and uncaring about the people she reputedly loved. The waitress approached their table. Michelle gave the order, then instantly switched to the safer gossip about friends and the redecoration of the dining room. It should be all done by the time you arrive. It looks lovely. I might decorate the tree in silver and blue this year. Emma says it's all the rage. What do you think? Soup for me too, thank you. Sophie gave the harassed-looking waitress a sympathetic smile before replying to her mother. You've forgotten, haven't you? I rang you the other week. We're not coming this year. What? No! Why? She said loud enough to make the ladies at the next table tut at the outburst. I told you. Finn's confinement. It doesn't end until after the new year. And I doubt even Daddy can get the authorities to overlook it. Not when there's talk of a state of emergency. But I have everything planned. Can't you come on your own? It took her a second or two to halt the steady stream of sweary insults that was sitting on the tip of her tongue. When she spoke, it was measured and controlled. No, I cannot leave my sick husband to have a happy Christmas meal with you because otherwise it would mess up your plans. Don't get stroppy with me, Sophia. I don't make the rules. The waitress brought their lunch and with the air around the table bristling with anger, they ate quietly, 
conversation at an end. Sophie spent the time coming up with a compromise. Confrontation was draining and she didn't have the energy for it anymore. Look, why don't you pack all the food up and the decorations if you like and come and spend Christmas with us in the cottage? What if Finn is still contagious? Should we really take the risk? Given you've been inoculated, even if he were contagious, which he definitely isn't, you still wouldn't get it. I'm not sure. Your house is so small. Would we all fit? And then there's Daddy's position to consider. I'll have to discuss it with him and, and let you know. Through an arc cutting across the steamed-up window, Sophie peered at her hibernating garden. Behind her, Michelle wittered on about Auntie Emma's new kitchen. She's so organised now, every cupboard filled with labelled plastic boxes. Sophie turned back to look at the woman who was increasingly a stranger to her. Anna was handing Michelle another steaming glass of spicy cider. Oh, thank you, darling. Are you sure you wouldn't like one too, Sophie? She asked. Her mother was tipsy, her cheeks full of colour, and there was a radiance to her smile that Sophie almost forgot existed. She shook her head in silent response. In her pocket, her fingers gripped the heavy envelope, the letter that needed delivering, the letter that would bring scant joy and immense pain, just as it did each and every time. I ought to go and find Finn. He's been outside for too long. I don't know why he insisted on chopping wood. Christopher offered. Are you sure he's better? He looks like he'd be blown over by a slight breeze, said Michelle. Fresh air is exactly what he needs right now, said Anna, taking the seat next to Michelle. It's not too cold today and it will help him recover. But Sophie is right, it, it probably is time to fetch him back in. Sophie returned Anna's smile and left the women to their laughter, heading out to the garden where her husband had been chopping wood for the last hour. He was sitting on an old wooden chair, the axe leaning against his knee. The small pile of chopped wood was barely enough to get through the evening. Sophie knew the real reason he was keen to get out was to escape the claustrophobia of the house. Her cottage was small, and with six adults it felt even smaller. You should come in, we'll be eating soon, she called out to him. He turned in response, and Sophie saw the brief exertion had left him exhausted. When Henry said you needed to keep warm and rest, I'm not sure he was thinking you should go out and chop up a forest. This is hardly resting and taking it easy, is it? I like it out here, it's quiet. Sophie picked up the axe. It was much heavier than she anticipated. She was forced to use both hands to even lift it. Out of the corner of her eye, she caught Finn's grin. I'm going to have a go. Do we need matchsticks? He said, laughing as the axe barely glanced off the log. It's just technique. I'll get it. Just watch me and see. Her second attempt was no better. On the third try, she hit the log, but it got stuck. Finn got up, took the axe off her, lifted it up and brought it down heavily. The log split instantly. Next time you're in town, see if Baines have axes especially made for little pixies. 
It's just practice and technique. He put his arm round her waist and brought her in close, kissing the top of her head. She had missed it. Those tender moments had become distinctly rarer. What are the others doing? he asked, sitting back down on the chair. Dad and Christopher are hiding in the sitting room, pretending to watch a documentary about cricket, and Anna is trying to prevent Mum from going through all my kitchen cupboards to get me organised. Ah, and you thought you'd escape by coming to find me. It won't work. She'll discover your devious plan and drag you back in to discuss the merits of plastic boxes and nauseam. Sophie didn't want to disturb the happy moment with the letter. Her heartbeat increased as she slipped her hand into her pocket to retrieve it. Like Judas in the Garden of Gethsemane, the letter was the betraying kiss to send him back into the torment of despair. But despite her nervousness, she needed to appear calm and relaxed. George popped in with your Christmas letter. I thought you might want to read it out here alone. Finn froze. Sophie pulled her hand out of her pocket and handed him the envelope. His hand trembled as he ran his fingers over the name. It was her mother-in-law's handwriting. At least she was still alive, but the shaky writing gave away her age. Dr. and Mrs. M. F. Sheehan Eloise Sheehan was ignorant of the rules. As far as she was aware, her son continued to work as a lecturer at the university. With Sergeant Mason's help, each year Finn would compose his sole letter home without mentioning anything that might require the black censure of a security officer's pen. Finn would never have told her how far his life had altered. And even if he'd tried, the censors would have ensured her ignorance. He took the letter, then stretched out the other arm to catch Sophie's wrist. Not alone. Please stay with me. She tried to get as close to him as possible on the cramped garden seat. He prized open the resealed envelope and pulled out the letter. Four pages. The tsunami of pain would be worse than usual. Do guards enjoy censoring letters? He said, his gentle voice distorted by anger and sorrow. Does it give them pleasure to redact all semblance of a mother's tenderness? Line after line had been blacked out. She imagined the censors making a game out of the process. Adverbs, any reference to happy events, adjectives beginning with a vowel. Today's objective, reduce a thousand-word letter of love into ten lines of indifference. Evidently, this censor was particularly adept at the task. I can't do this. Finn handed back the letter. Shall I read it to you then? He nodded. She turned over the pages to find the scant words. Squeezing his hand and coughing back the lump in her throat, she began. Dear Finn and Sophie, We both hope you are well and ready for Christmas. I expect you will be with Sophie's parents again. She turned the page. Old Arthur has gone. Chasing rabbits over a rainbow now. Andy and Nisha send their love. Elliot has been accepted at Cardine. Another page was flipped over. Mrs. McManus is in Clare House and doing well for a 95 year old. 
Daddy has a new bicycle and still manages to go up to Khan Top Field every day. She stopped speaking, rifling through the paper in case she'd missed something. It ends there, darling. I'm, I'm so sorry, that's it. Nothing about Evie? She shook her head. Finn rubbed away the tears with the sleeve of his jumper. It was the same agony each time, twice a year for the last six years, on his birthday and at Christmas. Censorship came early into the lives of New Albion's, protection against outer-world radicalisation. Apart from the censored letters, all other forms of contact with the outer world had been banned. Finn had not heard his mother's voice in nearly 14 years. Poor Mrs McManus, said Sophie. Finn could only acknowledge her comment with a nod. She looked down at the words, hoping to gleam something that might start a conversation to bring him back from the impending despair. Was old Arthur the man we met when you took me round to the farm? No. Oh, who was he then? Dad's dog. Sophie remembered the chaos and the noise that accompanied the spoilt little puppy. He must be quite young still. It was over 16 years ago. That is a long time for a dog. He took back the letter and brought it up to his face, tracing his finger across the inky words and the blackened lines, lines and words that dissolved with his tears. Do you want to come in, or, or shall I leave you a bit longer? He didn't respond. Sophie got off the chair, kissing him on the cheek as she stood. Don't be too long, darling. You'll get cold. Thank you for listening to this production of The Third Magpie. To support our work, please consider buying or gifting a digital copy of The Third Magpie from Amazon or post a review on Goodreads. Register at pageupbooks.co.uk to stay in touch with future projects. That's pageupbooks, P-G-U-P, like the key on your keyboard, pgupbooks.co.uk. Thank you.